Open your Bibles, if they're not already there, to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. I want you to think back to when you were young, when you were a child, and remember that time when your parents taught you that extremely valuable life lesson about how to lie. Why are y'all chuckling? Did your parents not teach you how to lie? How did you know how to lie if your parents didn't teach you? Say, I just did. I figured that out on my own. Yes. The fact that young children innately know how to lie without being taught is one simple illustration of our sin nature. We know that parents don't have to teach children how to lie, but parents do have to teach children how to tell the truth. So why is that so important though? Why is truth, why does it matter so much? Why at such an early age is that a lesson we just continually teach our children? What makes lying so wrong? Well, when you lie, you are not following God at all. You're following the devil. Listen to what Jesus said about the devil and his communication. John chapter eight, Jesus said, he, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Lies belong to the realm of darkness. The devil is the source of all lies. He's the father of them. You could think of it this way. Lying is his native language. As easy as English is to us, that's how easy it is for the devil to lie. It's just who he is. You think back to Genesis chapter three, the Garden of Eden. The devil successfully tempted Eve by lying to her. When the serpent came to Eve and Eve told the serpent, God told us not to eat the forbidden fruit. We are, we are not even to touch it lest we die. And do you remember what the serpent said? You will not surely die. Well, Eve was deceived and ate the fruit. Adam was not deceived. He knew full well it was disobedient to God's command, but he did it anyway. And when Adam bit that fruit, he plunged humanity into death. Adam and all of us immediately died spiritually and eventually physically. You say, but the devil said you won't die. He lied. That's what he does. That's all he does. Truth belongs to God. So ultimately, all lies are against God because God is truth. So when we lie, we're acting completely contrary to God's nature and character, and we are acting like Satan. See, that sounds pretty harsh. It's the truth. Similar to what we saw last week with stealing, where stealing is the opposite of God. Stealing takes from someone else and hurts them. That's not who God is. God gives to people and helps them. This week, with this command, God always tells the truth. 
So lies are completely against him, completely against his nature. Since God always tells the truth, so should we. Listen to a few verses in the New Testament about God's truthfulness. Paul wrote in Titus that God cannot lie. The author of Hebrews wrote that it is impossible for God to lie. Jesus Christ said, I am the truth. And then Jesus also prayed to the Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. How wonderful that God is always and forever truthful. In the ancient world, the, the pagan false gods of the world were very fickle. If you served one of these false gods and you woke up on Monday, you really didn't know what that false god wanted because he or she might change his mind. That's a tough way to live, not knowing what your God wants from you. Thankfully, God doesn't change. He's always truthful. It's not even possible for him to lie. He can't do it. And so lying is completely unholy and contrary to him. That's why it's so wrong. That's why we teach our children from such early ages not to lie, but to tell the truth. Even lost people who don't care about God teach their children not to lie. It's that fundamental to society. And that's important to realize because there's a lot of things that are wrong that we shouldn't do that are not specifically found in the Ten Commandments. But for something to be found in this short list, it needs to be universal and fundamental to a strong society. Lying is included because it hurts other people. And if you lie in, in a, a society that doesn't care about truth will be damaged. Depending on the lie, depending on the circumstances, it could hurt you. It will definitely hurt others. Lying is very dangerous. It, if a society does not stand for truth in some form or fashion, it's gonna crumble. Listen to what one scholar said. He, he said that a society cannot survive contempt for truth. He said there can be no justice. And without the hope of justice, there can be no civilization. Just imagine a courtroom where truth doesn't matter. We could almost just say, well, then why are you even in a court? <laughs> but imagine a courtroom where truth doesn't matter and a serial killer takes the stand and says, I didn't do this. But everybody knows he did, but they don't care about the truth. And so the serial killer lies and is granted his freedom and released back into society. I don't want to live in that society. Everyone else has been endangered because of his lies and the fact that no one cared about the truth. The reverse could happen as well. Someone could lie about an innocent man. And if people don't care about the truth, an innocent person could be condemned and punished, possibly even executed for something he didn't do. That also hurts society. If you are taking good, upstanding, moral citizens and punishing them because someone else lied about them, societies like that will crumble. If truth isn't valued and considered and decisions are not based upon it, justice cannot happen. And if there's no hope for justice, a society is just gonna be completely anarchist. Even in our country, 
What do we make people do in a courtroom before they testify? They swear to what? Tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And who do they appeal to help them? So help me God, because truth is God's. That doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes, you know, in our justice system. We are fallible. We're not omniscient and perfect, but we do have to value truth. And we have burdens of proof, right, that must be met. Certain checks and balances even in our judicial system before we make a decision because we do want to do what's right. That doesn't mean mistakes aren't made, but we do want to do what's right. God wanted things to be right and just in ancient Israel And so he gave this command, and its most specific application does involve a courtroom. That's its most specific application. Just quickly, I'm going to run through the words of the verse before we we talk about it in general. But the word bear just simply means answer or reply. The word false, you know what that means. Falsehood, deception, lies. The word witness, though, is the one that puts us into the courtroom. It means witness or testimony, and it it is a legal word. One, uh, one author wrote, the word is at home in the language of the court. So in giving official testimony, never give a false, deceptive, lying response. Society's good is at stake. Somebody else's freedom might be at stake. Perhaps their life is at stake, depending on the crime that's, that's alleged to them. It is serious when you lie. In fact, look over at Deuteronomy chapter 19 for just a moment. I want to show uh, show you some more instructions about the ancient Israeli judicial system that God gave them. Some, you know, checks and balances and some burden of proof before they just believed what somebody said. Look at Deuteronomy 19. We're going to read verse 15 through 21. Deuteronomy 19 Verse 15, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests, And the judges who were in the office in those days, the judges shall inquire diligently. Listen to this. And if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And the rest shall hear and fear and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Verse 21, your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Even though the Ten Commandments prohibited lying, God knew people are still going to do it. So in a courtroom in ancient Israel, it took two or three witnesses to condemn somebody. One person could not simply lie about you just to get you in trouble. You needed multiple testimonies. Another safeguard that we read is that if you were found to be lying about someone, whatever punishment your alleged 
crime that they committed would, uh, would have placed upon them, that would happen to you instead. So if you lied about someone committing a crime that was punishable by death, and when the judges and the priests took that case before the Lord and found out that you were lying, you would be executed, not the other person. That will make you think twice before you lie. Also in Deuteronomy 17, you don't have to turn there, but another safeguard in ancient Israeli courts is that in cases of capital punishment, the accuser must be the one to throw the first stone. Stoning being the method of execution in ancient Israel. That was another way to ensure the truthfulness of testimonies. If you were going to accuse someone of a crime that was punishable by death, you had to be sure enough that your conscience, your conscience would allow you to start the execution process before anybody else joined in. You better not be lying. All of these things work together to ensure justice in their courtroom. Justice is necessary for a strong society. In this command, though, unlike some of the other commands that are sort of left open-ended, we did have a little clarification here, didn't we? Thou shalt not bear witness against who? Your neighbor. Ah, so we've got to define the word neighbor. What do we think of as a neighbor? It's someone who lives next door, right? It's the, we even say that, right? My next door neighbor. We, we say that. That's not what this word means. It's not so much of a proximity word necessarily. It can be translated as friend, companion. Uh, there's some other ways it can be translated. It can quite simply just be another person. If we try to restrict the definition of the word neighbor, we're doing the same thing a lawyer did in the life of Jesus in Luke chapter 10. There was a lawyer who came up to Jesus to try to test him. And he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered like rabbis typically answered. He answered with a question. And he said, what's written in the law? Well, the lawyer responded that you are to love God with all your heart and you are to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, do this and you will live. That's it. Jesus wasn't teaching salvation by works. He wanted the man to understand there is no possible way I can love God and my neighbor with everything I have and never fail. I better, I better realize I need a savior. Well, the man though, he knew that he was gonna fail in that. So here's what he did. In Luke 10 verse 29, Luke wrote, but he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Maybe if we can define this, I can pass the test. Jesus then told his famous parable that we call the Good Samaritan. A traveler was jumped and mugged and left for dead, just laying on the side of the road. A priest came by. Oh, thankfully, this priest will definitely help this man. But he didn't. A priest just passed right by this man in obvious need. Well, next came a Levite. He wasn't a priest, but he was from the priestly tribe. Surely he would help this man. He walked right by. Finally, a Samaritan. Ugh. 
someone completely and utterly despised by the Jews. He came by and he stopped and helped the man and went above and beyond helping the man, if you know the story. And so Jesus ended the parable with his own question. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the thieves? And the lawyer knew the answer, but he couldn't bring himself to say the Samaritan. So he said, the one who showed him mercy. (laughs) He didn't even want to say the Samaritan, the one who showed him mercy. And do you remember what Jesus said? You go and do likewise. The point of that parable has nothing to do with lying. But it does show us the mistake of trying to define the word neighbor in order to make yourself feel better. Having the word neighbor in the command of not bearing false witness does not mean that you can lie about your enemy. According to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, how should we treat our enemies? We should love them. We should pray for them. Okay, so the point is not to restrict the command and make it okay to lie about certain people, but rather to help us understand that everybody is our neighbor. Don't lie about anybody. It's also important to understand, and you all know this, that the principle of this command goes beyond the courtroom. That's the first application, but it extends to everything in life. One author author calls it the rule of categories, which means if it's wrong to lie in court, it's wrong to lie, period. So this prohibits all lying, sort of like the command uh, against... uh, the, prohi- the prohibition of adultery, it also colors all immorality. But that's a specific you know, point of it. So if you lie about your enemy outside a courtroom, guess what? You're still a liar. You didn't find a loophole. You, you, didn't, you didn't wiggle your way out of this. But the Jews loved looking for loopholes. So I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 23. And we'll also look at Matthew 5. And I want to show you how the Jews tried to wiggle around this command to just be truthful and honest all the time. One thing they did in the first century was they swore oaths constantly. That may seem backwards that if you swear a lot, well, doesn't that mean you're telling the truth a lot? Sadly, no. Okay, the Jews swore constantly in the first century, and so they turned something that was supposed to be a very rare, very, a very solemn thing into just commonplace talk. One author said the Jews would swear to support almost every statement in life's daily relationship. The whole point of swearing is to strengthen something at an important moment. God swore a few times. It's okay for God to swear. He's telling the truth. He can't lie. The Jews swore way too much. And another thing they did along with their constant swearing was that they developed this tiered system, this hierarchy of oaths, which oaths were more important, which oaths were less important. And they created this distinction. So if you swore by an oath that you directly used the name God, then that was serious. You're accountable to that one. But if you swore, maybe you didn't directly use the name God, maybe you just said, I swear by heaven, then you left yourself some wiggle room. That was a way to lie and kind of get around it. 
That seems silly to us, but that's what they did. So listen to what Jesus said about all of this wiggling in and out of loopholes about lying and swearing. Look at uh, 23, verse 16 through 22. Jesus said to the Pharisees, woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he's bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Look also at Matthew chapter five. During the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five and verse 33 through 37. Verse 33, in these verses, Jesus did what he typically did during the Sermon on the Mount. You heard this, but let me tell you a better interpretation, the best, the perfect interpretation. Verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. All the Jews accepted that if you swore by the name of the Lord, you better hold to that. Don't swear falsely in his name. Everybody knew that. But in their tiered system, they had developed ways where you could sort of appeal to God but in a way that gave you some wiggle room if you were lying. So instead of swearing by God, they just swore by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem. And since they didn't directly call upon God, they thought, you know, there was some wiggle room. So basically they wanted the best of both worlds. They wanted to appeal to God and make people think, oh boy, they're telling the truth, but at the same time not be found guilty when they were actually lying. And by developing this ridiculous system of oaths, they were basically teaching people how to lie. What they were doing was extremely hypocritical and inconsistent. And remember, it was common. Can you imagine talking to someone and trying to like sift through and wade through all of this junk? Wait a minute, did they swear by the temple or by the gold? Or, oh man, can I trust this person? How? Jesus' teaching made it much simpler. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no and leave it at that. Just be honest. That's a lot easier. And Jesus' whole premise behind honesty is that you cannot avoid God's authority no matter what you say. If you swear by heaven and you think you can avoid God when you do that, you're so wrong, it's It's hilarious. You cannot escape God's authority. And that's what the Jews real, uh, failed to realize, that the authority of God permeates every single word you speak. So tell the truth. 
We should live and speak in ways where people are confident in what we say because we're honest, genuine people, because we're truth tellers. Don't give people reason to doubt your words. Show some integrity and honesty to where when you say something, people are just gonna trust it because you've proven that in the past and that's just who you are. So when we realize that God hears everything we say, whether we're swearing or not, that'll actually go a long way in promoting honesty. One, one author said it this way, since God hears all words, it should be for the Christian as if all statements were an oath sworn before God. In Matthew 12, Jesus said that people will give an account for every careless word they speak. He said, for by your words, you'll be justified and by your words, you'll be condemned. There's no wiggle room. You're either telling the truth or you're lying. So God takes all words seriously and that, that's gonna bring us back to our command uh, and kind of consider the flip side again like we did last week. The positive aspect of not stealing is to be a good steward. Well, what's the positive side of not lying? Telling the truth. Since God has revealed that, that he despises lying, that also means he loves truth telling. So that's the positive side of this. So I wanna read just a few, uh, a few biblical teachings regarding our words and their power and how they should be truthful and gracious and helpful and those sorts of things. In Proverbs 12, 18, Solomon wrote, the tongue of the wise brings healing. Colossians 4, 6, Paul wrote, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And then finally, Ephesians 4, 29, Paul wrote to that assembly, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Your tongue is one of, if not the most powerful force at your disposal. We read from James earlier in the service. It just takes one little spark to start a forest fire. It just takes one little lie to ruin someone's life. So when we speak, we need to exercise wisdom, restraint, and self-control because our words are powerful. They're so powerful that even outside of a courtroom, you can destroy someone's reputation with one lie. It doesn't even have to be true, right? You can lie about someone and just destroy them. In a courtroom, it's, I guess we would say, more powerful because there are actual, actual consequences that play out. How dare you lie about someone else and take their freedom from them and potentially their life? That is the opposite of God. God has not lied to you in order to imprison you. God has given you the truth to set you free. That's the first step that you need to make about being truthful and honest in your life is to be honest before God. We're all sinners and we all need a savior. Don't lie to yourself and pretend like you're good enough. 
We're not. Be honest with God. And if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, humble yourself before Him. Repent. Ask His forgiveness. Ask Him to be your Savior. And He will. He died for you and He was resurrected for you. And everyone who trusts in Him will live forever. And I know that's the truth because God's Word says so. And He can't lie. He can't do it. It's wonderful to serve a God who is always honest with us. But we're not always honest with ourselves. Some of the sneakiest lies are the ones that we tell to make ourselves look better. That might be with our words. It might be with disingenuous actions. One author wrote that if there is one thing God hates... It is the lies that Christians tell to make themselves look more righteous than they really are. That kind of hurts. <laughs> but that's exactly what the Pharisees did. They were hypocrites. And Jesus called them out. He called them whitewashed tombs. They looked nice and clean on the outside. And everyone was so impressed. But it was a lie. On the inside, the reality, the heart of the matter, Jesus said, you're full of dead men's bones. Don't be a liar like the Pharisees and put on a religious front in front of others so that they think you're something you're not. Be honest and genuine. Okay, once you're saved, don't lie, don't be deceptive. Be honest and tell people, the best thing about me isn't me. It's Jesus. It's his grace. It's his love. If there's anything good you can say about Matt Thornton, it's that he's saved. Anything good that I've done comes from that anyway. So when we do good in front of others, it's not to make ourselves look better. It's not so that others look at us and are amazed by us. We want our good works to be done so that people glorify our Father in heaven. That's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. So as God's children, we do want our words to mirror our heavenly fathers who's always truthful. And there's a lot that we could say about that, but for this sermon, it means that we cannot lie. Lying is totally against his nature and his character. It is deceptive and untrustworthy, and those are two descriptions that can never be laid upon God. And thank goodness for that. Since God's truthful and trustworthy, his children should be too. In our society, if Christians especially are a bunch of liars, it's going to hurt society a lot. But it will hurt even more if we don't tell people the truth about Jesus Christ. There are a lot of lies in this world about who Jesus Christ is. But the truth is found right here. And it better be found right here in this church and with each one of us every day of our lives. The world needs the truth because it's the only thing that can set them free. Let's stand. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Prepare for an invitation. Father, forgive us for our lies and our deception. 
and thank you so much for always being truthful with us. I pray that if there's someone lost today, that they would trust Jesus for their salvation and anyone else who needs to make a decision about following you, that they would, that they would submit and do that. Help us to be truth tellers and people who live out the truth as well, not so that people think we're good, but so that people see your goodness through us. Forgive us of our sins. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.